Hamlet podcast, episode 145. Hello and welcome to this exploration of Shakespeare's Hamlet with me, your host, Connor Hanretty. Last time, Claudius finally showed his hand and proposed a plan. They'll arrange a fencing match with Hamlet, preying on his jealousy of Laertes' reputation. In the heat of the scuffle, Laertes can stab him for real with a rapier that hasn't been dulled for safety. Laertes now responds, yet again completing a line of verse for Claudius. Throughout the scene, their rhythms have been increasingly overlapping as their collusion develops. But Laertes now shows that he's got his own ideas too. I will do it, and for that purpose I'll anoint my sword. I bought an unction of a mountebank, so mortal that but dip a knife in it, Where it draws blood, no cataplasm so rare, collected from all simples that have virtue under the moon, can save the thing from death that is but scratched withal. I'll touch my point with this contagion, that, if I gall him slightly, it may be death. Turns out, Claudius isn't the only one who's been planning to kill. Laertes proposes that he will anoint his sword. It's an almost religious image. He won't dip it or smear it or lace it with poison. He will anoint it, as though his revenge is a sacrament, divinely approved. Rather chillingly, he explains that he has bought some poison. He bought an unction of a mountebank. Again, it's a religious word, not poison or an elixir or the like, but an unction. The word is most often associated with extreme unction, the sacrament for the dying. Shakespeare only uses the word in this play, twice in fact, once for the flattering unction to Gertrude's soul, and now here for the concoction that will anoint Hamlet and send him to his death. This kind of poison belongs in the fantastical medicine cabinet that contains the love potions from A Midsummer Night's Dream and the fake death mixtures from Romeo and Juliet and later from Cymbeline. Laertes bought it from a mountebank. Ordinarily in Shakespeare, the word has the same negative connotation we have today, a fraudster or a charlatan. But here it seems that this roadside quack has sold Laertes the real deal. In Othello, also, Brabantio is convinced that medicine from a mountebank has bewitched his daughter. Perhaps in tragedy, they are more dangerous and more powerful. Laertes goes into mythical detail about how the potion works. It's not scientific. It really does sound like dark magic. The words are spooky. Simples, the moon, scratching, contagion, gall, and of course, death. When he dips a knife into this murky mixture, where it draws blood, even a scratch, nothing can save the victim from death. To add extra heft to its power, he suggests that there's no medicine on earth that could help, not even an obscure cataplasm or a poultice, made up from medicinal herbs, or simples that have virtue, collected even by moonlight. Nothing can help. The play has already primed us for deathly poisons, after all. In The Mousetrap, the murderer Lucianus told us about mixtures rank of midnight weeds collected. We have poison and midnight all over again. Laertes' version is so mortal that but dip a knife in it, 
Where it draws blood, no cataplasm so rare, collected from all simples that have virtue under the moon, can save the thing from death that is but scratched withal. Laertes is going to anoint his sword with this frightening mixture. He calls it a contagion, and rightly so, and knows that if he just nicks Hamlet or galls him slightly, that'll be his end. I'll touch my point with this contagion, that if I gall him slightly, it may be death. We don't get to know where Laertes bought this poison. It could have been in Paris, or indeed on a street in Denmark, or anywhere in between. But Laertes has clearly shown up with it in his pocket, with the intent to use it. Claudius is clearly impressed with his zeal and his preparation, I suppose, but he actually backtracks before they get carried away. He says, Let's further think of this. Weigh what convenience both of time and means may fit us to our shape. If this should fail, and that our drift look through our bad performance, twere better not essayed. Therefore this project should have a back or second that might hold if this should blast in proof. Soft, let me see. We'll make a solemn wager on your cunnings. I had. When in your motion you are hot and dry, as make your bouts more violent to that end, and that he calls for drink, I'll have prepared him a chalice for the nonce, whereon but sipping, if he by chance escape your venomed stuck, our purpose may hold there. The king is suggesting caution. They should keep planning, and figure out the best time and situation to work towards their plan. Because, after all, things could go wrong, and if this plan were to fail, and their machinations be revealed, it would be better not to try in the first place. If this should fail, and that our drift look through our bad performance, it were better not essayed. Therefore, he says, the plan should have a safety net, a backup that will work even if the first idea goes wrong on the day. This project should have a back or second that might hold if this should blast in proof. I love that Shakespeare uses another image of a bomb here. Hamlet used the famous image of the engineer hoist on his own petard, and now we see that Claudius is rightly worried that things might blast, or blow up or explode, in proof so he needs to strategize. Soft, let me see, he says. We'll make a solemn wager on your cunnings. They'll up the stakes by putting a solemn bet on the outcome of the match, wagering on the comparative skills or cunnings of the two young men. The folio suggests that the word is cummings, perhaps a direct translation of the French word for a fighter's back and forth, coming and going during a fight. Either way, Claudius is trying to turn up the heat for the match. I have it, he says. He suggests that Laertes really push Hamlet during the match, really playing a violent, aggressive game. And then, when they are panting and thirsty, Hamlet will naturally ask for a little drink. Claudius will be there at the ready, and will have prepared a cup for him. That way, even if Hamlet manages to escape being scratched by Laertes' poisoned foil, he'll still be poisoned when he drinks. Rather subtly, Claudius echoes Laertes' image of anointing. Here, it's not a cup or a goblet, but a chalice that he'll spike with this unction. Hamlet will be sacrificed, nonetheless, for Laertes' revenge. The curious little phrase, for the nonce, means for the occasion, 
It meandered into the language via French and Middle English. It appears even in the prologue to the Canterbury Tales as a cook boils chickens for the nonce. Claudius expands and enhances Laertes' plan for the poison, giving us a clear sense of how the story might end. When in your motion you are hot and dry, and make your bouts more violent to that end, and that he calls for drink, I'll have prepared for him a chalice for the nonce, whereon but sipping, if he by chance escape your venomed stuck, our purpose may hold there. Either way, they're covered. But before they can get any further with their planning, there's another noise, another interruption. But we'll save the news that's coming for the next episode. As always, there are show notes to accompany this episode and all previous episodes on the website, thehamletpodcast.com. Thank you for your company, and I'll speak to you next time.